one thing I got out of the devotion and the hymn was trust in the Lord and that's that's where I am this morning everything that I had been looking at Thursday and Friday came to an abrupt halt yesterday and all I've got this morning for you is a verse now if the Lord does not does not help me and help you then our gathering is in vain but it's that way every time we gather we're so dependent upon him so I ask you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter number 7 place to be when all you've got is the Lord hard in our nature we all want something to kind of lean back on because we're we're just doubtful Even after many, many years, you still are doubtful at times of God and His great help and provisions. But He is faithful. That's the one thing that you must always depend upon. I want us to read together only... Verse 8, Ecclesiastes 7. And I only have one other place later on. Second Chronicles 20. And there are three or four verses out of that that I want you to look at with me. But before we read and hopefully get into what I trust will be a message to your heart. Will you bow with me as we seek the Lord? Our Father, the one stable, unchanging being event or thing in this world is thee. Thou art faithful. For if you were not, we know according to thy word, we know according to our own fallen nature 
we would not endure, we would be consumed. As you told the sons of Jacob, because of my unchangeableness, you are not consumed. Thus far in our journey, all of us have done enough, be it active or passive, for you just to leave us. But again, thou art faithful. My Father, it is upon that that I trust this day that you will have a word for these that have assembled. I don't know where they are. I don't know the inward need or needs. Lord, you can take one word and like Christ with the you fish your loaves, you can just break it and feed a multitude. Would you by thy spirit minister to our hearts this day, exalt Christ and honor thy great name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I told you, I am here with very, very little other than the verse that we will read. But the verse itself makes me dependent, totally dependent upon what God says here. How can I tell you that that I do not believe? Or that that I have not experienced. And I will be speaking to you on better is the end of a thing. And I, I trust, I trust the Lord that the end of the service will be better than the beginning. You've had a good devotion, you've had a good hymn, but that in themselves will accomplish nothing apart from the blessings of God. And I hope as the service goes on, that you find out it just gets better towards the end of a thing. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. All of you have been in difficult straits, tight places. The beginning seems as though it would consume or even destroy you. But if you can learn to sit quietly and patiently, you find out 
there's something other than the appearance that that circumstance or that obstacle brought in your life and you'll find the end of it far better than the beginning continue on and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit in the beginning God brought from nothing everything everything you see everything everything that you own Though you think that men, and they did, God has endowed men and women with, with much ability in the natural sense. But they had to have something to work with. To make your phones as advanced as they are. And your computers as advanced as they are. And whatever, whatever you drive, with all the benefits that you get, somebody made that from material, or materials, that in the beginning God created. And so everything out there is from the Lord. And we are oft times like Mr. Mueller that had to feed a few thousand boys and they didn't have anything for the morning meal. And all of a sudden a knock was on the door and there was a man asking, is it possible that you might need bread? My carriage is broken down. I've got to get it empty. And he unloaded enough bread to feed those boys that day. Better is the end. But in the beginning, if you go back in mind, there was a garden. None like it the world has ever seen. Nothing to compare with it. Had everything. Man, and then after I don't know how many years, searching for that which would bring out the completeness in him, found and helped mate. Now everything's, everything's perfect in the beginning, in the beginning. But it's not long till you find, as the old song, speaking about the love of God, the guilty pair bowed down with care. That which was in the beginning came to an, an abrupt halt. And what they were,
Almost, well, we came. We don't know what they were. Just sinless, perfect, in a perfect environment, with a right heart. Now all that's gone. And in that lovely, lovely garden that had everything that could satisfy the eye with its beauty and and uh, the mouth taste buds could satisfy all that with what God had given everything they had everything didn't need anything and all of a sudden, with one bite of a piece of fruit, it all ended. It began. I'm sure they began to take for granted, even in that perfect state, that it'll always be like this. The devil, off in the distant background, Laughing, I've won. I've defeated the plan of God. And if God maintains His justice and His holiness, then He's got to destroy that that He made. But then He heard the word of God into the ears of the woman. Thy seed shall bruise the head of the serpent. And then, on a murderous rampage, he begins his bloody campaign to destroy male children. And Eve mistakenly looked at that firstborn son, thinking that God in him had already fulfilled his promise, and that he would be the one that would would bruise the serpent's heel, destroy Satan. And I believe it is all due to her pampering, petting, letting him live as he pleased, that brought about came to that act. And he killed his younger brother. Unto, unto you, unto you, one will be born that will bruise the serpent's head. So again, he took the one that he thought would be that miraculous seed through which the Deliverer would come. And he became a murderer. Down through the ages, the blood, the blood has been shed of all many of our forefathers because the devil would wipe out that seed. And then he heard the angel saying to the shepherds, Under you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord.
Oh, Herod has this impulse from Satan himself out of vengeance and rage he sets out to kill all male children two years and younger calculating the time that the wise men came back he figured if I get every boy two years and younger and I have them killed this is Satan I've destroyed the promised seed of God and that which the angels said, or angels said. There's one born in the city of David, Bethlehem of Judea, which is Christ the Lord. So the devil started that of killing all boys two years and younger. But he missed him. In the divine promise and providence of God, he missed him. But then there came that day when they led the Savior up Golgotha's hill. Blood, blood dripping from his forehead, back, front, all dripping down to his feet. And there was a final attempt made at Calvary, and when Jesus died, he thought, I've won. But better is the end of a thing than the beginning. And from the garden, down through 4,000 years, to the death of Christ came an empty tomb and a resurrected Lord sitting on the throne of glory having all power to do as is pleasing to him and honoring and glorifying the Godhead now he sits on the throne Now let's get to us. Satan failed there. From Calvary came the Savior invested with all power. Well, he had that as Christ God. But now he has it as Christ, the Son of Man. But now to you, whatever you're in, whatever you might be in, whatever is just around the bend in the road, whatever tomorrow holds, if today the, the sun is shining and the weather's all fair, it won't be this way tomorrow. You're all headed for heartache. You're all headed for persecution somewhere down the road. You're all headed for great trials and affliction.
Now listen, keep this as much as you can in mind when you're in the depths and cannot see even the top of the mountain that you got over. Keep this in mind. Better is the end of that that I'm in than was the beginning of where I am today. Mountain before you. The God in His holy commands has said, you must cross, you must get over that. But all you can see is its height. There is no path. Mountain is covered, it's covered with, with, with undergrowth and large trees and there is no, no visible path over it and there certainly is none around it and yet God demands that you get over it. But all you can do is sit and wait trusting that one day there will be a cloud to guide you over it. Not only is the mountain so high, you see no way over it. There is absolutely no way around it because God would not have you going that way. Not only is that mountain there, but there is a weight upon you so crushing that you cannot see an end. You do not, you do not believe that you'll ever get out of this or that there will never be any relief. Circumstances and trials and disappointments and heartaches make it an impossible way in which God said you must journey and there's no help inside. The preacher can't help you, the husband, the wife can't help you, the church can't help you. You're all alone. With no help. And yet you got to get over it. And with all that great weight on your back that would stoop you and bow you down to the very dust of the earth, God says you got to go. And that weight on you and inwardly the devil's whispering to you, your sins brought this upon you. Let me give you what Martin Luther said. Best I can. When Satan tells me that I am a sinner. I have an unmeasurable comfort from Satan himself, for Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And the devil says, you're here because of your sins. And the mountain's so great and the weight's so heavy and the accusations of Satan within, all of that, all of that before you. And the one thing that it's done, it's blocked out God. 
For all practical purposes, God does not even exist anymore in your life. And what you're under is greater than the God you serve. You can't see God. You've bowed too low. But remember, remember, the end of a thing. That word, that word thing is translated, that same Greek word translated matter 63 times, I think, and 51 times it's translated act. So whatever's before you, will it be an act? Or matter that has been brought upon you, the end's better. Whatever that is, better is the end. But you could be like, if you're not very, very careful in this, you could be like, or you could hear ringing in your ears the words of Elijah. Why don't you cry louder? Maybe your God's asleep. Why don't you perform more of these acts of cutting yourself until the blood drips from your body? Why don't you perform more of these? Maybe your God's on a journey. Or the marginal reading is maybe your God's out using the restroom. And what's before you is greater than the circumstance. It's greater, the act is greater than is God. But now listen, God is the same. When devastation comes, when the weight is so great that it seems that it will crush you, you'll be like an earthworm under a ton weight. It seems like it will crush you. God didn't take a day off. God didn't take a nap. This didn't catch God by surprise. If you can trace it back far enough, you'll see Satan may have been the instrument and the cause of some of your difficulties, but God just gave him a little leeway because God wanted you here to find out I got better things than what you think will ever come out of this. Now Second Chronicles chapter number twenty
In verse number one, the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, beside the Amorites, and the children of Moab and the children of Ammon are two groups of people that have become very large now. But when Moses and the children of Israel were passing through the wilderness and came near them, God said, don't bother them. You leave them alone. Now, none of them at that time knew why they've been destroying everything that came out against them. And they didn't understand why God would have them spare Moab, the children of Moab, and the children of Ammon. But God had a purpose for them. And verse 2, there's a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And they're encroaching upon you. And as all human beings, verse number 3, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. And so they fast and they pray. And then verse number 12. And if you ever become useful in the service of God, or you develop as you ought as a maturing saint of God, bearing, expressing the very image of Christ in you, you'll all come to this verse right here. Verse 12, O our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. We don't have strength. We don't have the ammunition. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the ability. The, the multitude coming against us outnumbers us as they're as great as the sand of the sea. And all we've got in Israel is just a few sheep compared to them. We've got no might. We've got no power. We have no ability to go out and war against this great company. Now listen, neither know we what to do. We're at which ends, but our eyes are upon thee. And here comes the great king after praying and telling the children of Israel, after days or ever how long he fasted, then here comes or getting to the end of the beginning of this. Verse number 20. And they rose up early in the morning and they went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah. And ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God. Get God back inside. God's bigger than the mountain you face. 
God's greater than the weight upon your shoulder. God's greater than the grief in your heart. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe His prophets, so shall you prosper. Now you've got to believe, not because I said it. Because what I said is from the Word of God. And you've got to get that eye single focus back upon the greatness of God. And the power of God. And the heart of God. God never sends anything to the child to destroy. The devil says you're not a child of God. Well, you can remedy that right quick. I do it a lot of times. Lord Jesus, you said you came to save sinners. And if there's one thing wherein I qualify, I qualify in that I am a sinner. So you got to... Lift up your eyes to the hills whence cometh your help. You gotta see that God is greater than the children of Moab, Ammon, and all the others that have gathered themselves together to destroy you. And you gotta believe in the Lord your God. I won't ask you to turn to this, but Acts 27, one of my favorite chapters in Acts. Because so many times I've related, not out on the sea, but just in, li- just in life, generally speaking. And Paul said there had been no sun or stars, and they don't have any tracking devices. Now, they don't have that which will tell them, go ten degrees southwest turn the ship in that direction. They don't have that. All they got is the sun by day and the stars by night. Looking at that north star, which is a fixture, they'll pilot that ship based on what God has given them as light in the day. Let me go back in the beginning. God said, let there be light. As I've told you several times, that light that God brought into existence in that first day was not the sun or the moon or the stars. God didn't create them until the fourth day. So it leaves you only with this. Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. I don't know what took place. I don't know if there was that sun coming out of the Godhead as crucified, but he was as a, as a lamb crucified from the foundation of the world. I don't know. I just know that light was the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of darkness God brought light. 
Now Paul in the 276 or whatever number might be, they're out there with no way to know where they are or to guide them. And the storm tips you us, I believe. I believe the book calls it. All hope's gone. The storm's greater than God. God's removed all light as far as being uh, guiding them. And the tempestuous winds and waves therein, all hope's gone. They're not going to get out of this. They said, after long abstinence, Paul quit looking at the storm, he quit looking at the absence of the sun or the stars, he quit looking at, at the height of the waves and the strength of the wind, and all of a sudden God came back into focus. And he stood before him and said, Men and brethren, be of good cheer. For I believe that it shall be as I was told by the angel of the Lord. All men's lives will be spared. But there were some on there that did not believe him and they thought, Well, we'll get out of the ship. They acted as though they were letting down some anchors or something, and, and Paul said, you fellows better abide in the ship, because that was the promise God made. So folk, when the storm rages, and there's nothing in front of you to guide you, even the very next step, you've got to remain in the ship, for therein is hope. But you're not going to cruise into that port with fair sailing. And they had to get rid of everything. Everything. So they all ate and they cast out all their food, all the wheat. And so empty is that ship of anything that could sustain them much longer. I'll give you another quote of Luther. The great leader of the Reformation, but a man. He said, everything I've held on to tightly, I've lost. But everything I've placed in the hands of Jesus... I've kept. Be of good cheer. All life shall be spared. And the next day, there was this thundering crash where the forefront of the ship hit, hit sand and the waves on the ship were so great that it woke it up. 
small boards and planks went everywhere. But it was the crushed ship and that which came from the ship being destroyed that provided a way where those that could not swim could get to shore. And they land and they find out that the barbarians and when when the King James uses the word barbarians, it's not speaking of heathens that eat flesh and destroy one another. It's just speaking of those outside the elect nation of Israel. They found that the barbarians were friendly. So their journey with all that came is better than the beginning. Yet they set out fair weather sailing. Paul said, you better not go. But they believed the owner of the ship and the weather forecasters. It'd be all right. But the end was better. I hope I don't bore you with this, another Luther's quote. His traveling companion of times feared where they were headed and what awaited for them. And Luther said, take courage, my brother, let us sing the 46th Psalm. God is our refuge, a very present help in times of trouble. We will not fear. Others, others were trying to get him not to go down to, to the council there at the Diet of Worms that he had been called to, because they knew he probably, they put him to death if he goes down there. But he said he, in, a, in a letter to Frederick that he had entered Worms, had there been as many devils there as there were tiles on rooftops. He'd go. But now listen, as brave and as heroic as he was, do not think that he was a supernatural human. He went through periods of depression. And one day his wife came down the stairs dressed in black. And he said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to a funeral. He said, but I hadn't heard about anybody dying. She said, God did. He said, oh, foolish woman. God didn't die. She said, if you really believe that, why are you acting like you are? If you really believe God's alive, he said, my wife, though I thought was foolish, turned out to be a wise, wise woman on that day. For I realized my God is alive. 
Why are you living? And why are you acting as if he's dead? Why has the obstacle in front of you become greater than your God? Why has the grief in your soul become greater than God? Cheer up, cheer up, dear children. Better is the end than the beginning. God has great, great things in store for you. Just believe in God.